and welcome to the Special Needs Sibling Podcast, where we talk about what life is really like as a sibling to someone with special needs. I'm your host, Charlene, and today our guest is Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, um, I guess we'll hop into it. Um, can you please lay out your family structure, kind of like where your place is in the birth order and who has a disability in your family? Sure, yeah. So I am the oldest, and my younger brother, uh, Billy, has autism. Cool. Um, any fun facts about like his particular, not version of autism, but you know how it's like, there's a very wide spectrum of things. Um, yeah, yeah, he is. Um, yeah. So he, you know, it's interesting, like the terminology has changed constantly. And so I'm not sure what the latest correct terminology you're supposed to use is. It used to be considered high functioning. You know, that's not really what we say anymore. Um, but yeah, he's very independent. He drives, he can cook for himself. But he does also have a an intellectual disability that's a component of it. Um, so he, you know, definitely needs assistance. Um, like he had extra help in school and he'll sometimes need extra help in social situations. And um, yeah, just certain things that come up that are harder for him to navigate. Yeah, but it sounds like he can pretty much live his like quote unquote regular life for the most part. Like if he can if he can do all those things. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, because my sister's more on the, like, well, you know, I use lower functioning very loosely, kind of how, like, you're using higher functioning very loosely. But she's more on that, like, the, I think they're more opposite. So she's more nonverbal, more, like, kind of, she, like, like she needs 24-7 care and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, like, in her housing, then she just has rotational staff, so she'll have someone, like, in the morning and someone, like, at night and stuff like that. Because uh, she, her moral skills have improved a decent amount over the last couple of years, um, but not um, not to the level where she could, like, be by herself or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So then does your brother live on his own, too? No, he actually lives with my mom still. Oh, okay. So he's still, like, part of, like, your larger family unit and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, and I know it's, you know, one. I know that that's something shared with a lot of siblings is, like, what happens next. And so definitely... You know, fortunately, my mom is still healthy and vibrant and mobile and able (laughs) to, you know, take care of things for him. But, um, yeah, we are in lots of family conversations about what is going to be the next step. And, you know, they probably won't be able to live together, just the two of them forever. So, yeah, um, they're they're currently working on downsizing because right now they still live in the house that we grew up in, which is just a lot of house for two people. Um, and my brother's lived there his whole life. So we've been talking about like, it'd be good for him to experience moving and maybe go somewhere smaller while she's still around to support the transition. Um, yeah. So potentially what we're talking about now is them going into like a two bedroom apartment together. And then, you know, if someday down the road, my mom needs to go into assisted living or whatever, you know, he, it's not so unreasonable to think he should stay in a two-bedroom or maybe get a roommate or something but to stay in a big suburban house doesn't make a lot of sense no that makes a lot of sense that's so interesting too because it's like I I mean every family has their own kind of like I'll call it a battle with like like what to do right because it's kind of like do you yeah it's like do you have them like move out do you carry your staff like they're yeah it's so common but that's really interesting that two-bedroom apartment thing which I feel like from the outside looking at your family sounds like pretty fun just for him. Like he has his own space, but he can still like live with your mom. So, you know, like she's there, something happens, but he can still have his own, like, I want my own space type of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, great. yeah. Hopefully it'll work out because you know he like he probably could handle independent living, but he really doesn't want to. You know, and he just he like all he's ever known is living with my mom, and so he's really reluctant. And and there are some yeah. concerns about like safety. I think you know that's where you know like if someone were to come to the door and ask him yeah, to borrow money or can true. I come in and use your phone or something like some of those just like decision-making skills for someone living alone are scary for us and so yeah you know someday if he like probably someday he will live on his own and at that point we'll have to figure out what kind of supports we can put in place but for now the two bedroom yeah. now is where we're hopefully headed but we'll see what happens yeah no that, that that's cool um so um we like to keep an open forum on the podcast just because every sibling has like a variety of things that they like to talk about. Um, is there anything in particular that you wanted to talk about or have questions about or just like, you know, the forefront of your mind? <laughs> yeah, no, um, you know, I, so I'm happy to share if it's helpful for people, a little bit of my like background and work I've done for siblings. Sure. Um, so I am the founder of the Center for Siblings of People with Disabilities, which is a small nonprofit that um primarily we kind of when we first started we were doing all sorts of different things but as things have sort of evolved our primary thing now is to publish books like children's books for siblings um so I wrote Billy's sister like when your sibling has a disability which is a you know mostly true account of my life <laughs> my brother um but it's it's a picture book for kids we say ages three plus um and it's really intended to have like re representation for kids to show like what are some of the things that kids tend to struggle with and like show them that they're not alone. Um, and then our nonprofit, we also published recently a book called Evelie's Sister, which is follows a very similar format, but it's about another real life sibling um, whose sister has uh, a couple of different medical disabilities and is okay. in and out of hospitals a lot. And so when you know, has a feeding tube and wanted to have something that is also representation for siblings in those scenarios, you know, um, yeah, so we we also published Evelie's Sister, which is another book um, following a similar format to Billy's Sister, but it follows another real life family where the sibling has medical disabilities and a couple, and she is in a wheelchair and she has a feeding tube and she has to have mm. a lot of hospital visits. Yeah. Um, so it was very different than the story that I told in Billy's Sister. Mm -hmm. And we really wanted that to be something that can kind of help and be of support for kids, you know, feeling not so alone if they're watching like their sibling and their mom go stay at the hospital for a couple of days and they get left home with grandma or whatever yeah. the case may be so um yeah those books have really been our major focus as a nonprofit, and we've also done some trainings for parents and for therapists um to try and offer support for how to be there emotionally for siblings um especially at those younger ages because i think something that we were hearing a lot is that there are just these commonalities between adult siblings that all of us yes. or at least a great majority of us felt like our feelings weren't validated or we were kind of cast aside or we had to yep. be perfect and <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff that you know someone will say and then 500 other people are like me too me too me too me too so <laughs> um yeah we were able to have a couple of programs where we had you know therapists and siblings and adult siblings kind of talking to parents of the littler ones to hopefully be able to to make more space for supporting them and kind of early intervention type work uh yeah. in the future yeah it's been it's been really interesting to talk to a number of adult siblings who have who are involved in early intervention 
um, which mm-hmm. I never, I think I didn't really understand and or learn what early intervention was until like I'm an adult now, which I guess kind of makes sense because it's basically we didn't have it when we were growing up. So it's like, oh, we need to like go back and then help other, you know, kids now who are kind of going through totally. it. So, yeah, so it's it's been really interesting kind of when, because I think that I've, I came across your book, which I think, I'm, yeah, I think that's how we connected. I think I like found your book and then I like somehow got around it to find, to talk to you, which was <laughs> cool. And so it was interesting during the pandemic when I was kind of trying to find a bunch of stuff, because what I noticed was there was a lot of stuff kind of geared towards like 12 and under kind of things, like kind of more early intervention. And there was stuff that was more like, you know, books that were written or, you know, articles that got published by kind of like older siblings that are more like in their 60s, 70s now, right? Because they probably wrote it when they were like our age, like back before. So it's been really interesting in the space that we're in, which is like where we're adults, but we still have all the same feelings as, as both of those segments of people. So it's been interesting to see like how, like, at the time when I was looking, I was like, oh, it's interesting that there isn't really something for, like, kind of, like, young adult, you know, type of, which I don't know what the solution is, other than that, which is why I have this podcast, because we just talk about yeah. it all the time, and kind of, like, <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, it's been really interesting, because it's like, I don't think it's my job to provide a solution, I just want to talk about it, which I could talk about it all day, hence I hit record, and then, yeah, <laughs> then we could talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really cool. And like, it's, yeah, it's really interesting for me too. Cause I, when we first started our nonprofit and when I wrote the books, like I actually really wasn't seeing a lot for little kids either. Like they're, okay. so Sib Shops is an amazing organization. And like the main yes. thing that I'm always referring, cause now that we've gotten a little bit of like publicity and press and our books are selling, like mm-hmm. people will email us sometimes and want in-person programs. And we, Um, you know, at first we sort of were dabbling in, should we offer an in-person program? And then we kind of made the decision as an organization, we're just going to refer to Zip Shops because they're already doing it in terms of live programming. Um, and they do a phenomenal job. And so like, I'm always telling parents of school-age kids, like send your kids to Zip Shops. But, um, in terms of like a book, there still were not a lot out there or the ones that I did see were Mm -hmm. kind of using the sibling as a vehicle to tell a story about the person with a disability yes. like yeah you know, it would I've be the sister those. being like meet Susie Susie's just like everyone else but like yeah. it's narrated by the sibling but it's not about the sibling <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah yeah it's not about um, their experience living in the yeah 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 or they try to tell some like beautiful story where it's like we're gonna highlight Susie's abilities instead of her disability which is great like those those are all wonderful but it's not there was nothing that's about like validating that sibling experience yes um but even those like books are starting to emerge like there's there are more now for that age group um well because also I like so Sib Shops doesn't do programming for like the little little ones and even you know our book is three plus but we have heard of like you know people even buying it for like their two-year-olds and you know, trying to have it be part of a library so that they're always like their toddlers are growing up oh, being able to have language. They're like, yeah. yeah, like I'm mad at my sister or whatever, being able to say like, I'm jealous or I'm sad or that's frustrating. Right. Yeah. Communicating like the feelings you have and like putting words to like how you feel on the inside. <laughs> yes. Know? Cause we, I think a lot of us didn't grow up 
being invited to do that. No, (laughs) not not at all. (laughs) Yeah, our parents were overwhelmed. And so, yeah, yeah, it's been, you know, I've been really glad to see like that there are more books though and more like podcasts popping up and organizations. And I know, um, I don't know if you've talked to them already, but the Sibling Transformation Project is another one where I I think they are going to do. I haven't heard about that one. Yeah, I can connect you later to their, I can't remember off the top of my head what their executive director's name is, but I have a couple of contacts there that I'm happy yeah, to connect yeah. you. I'm sure they'd be happy be to great. talk. And they do, I think, I don't know a ton about them, but I think they focus, they do do a lot of, of like young adult um, types okay. of programming. So yeah, I just feel like I am, and like on Instagram, like I'm seeing more accounts. Like it feels yes. like it's starting to be talked about more. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. So I just hope that it'll, I hope that'll continue and there'll be more and more resources. Cause yeah, when we, when our organization very first started, there was very little and it's been kind of cool to see, you know, I, I certainly don't think we can like take credit for it, but I think we were, it was cool to be part of the moment where, you know, we kind of started and then other people started and it, it's, there's still some huge holes, but it's, they're getting filled slower and slower. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, yeah, and and it's cool because it's like, it it's so interesting because I feel like well, sibling spaces are already very niche. Like the whole experience is just niche to begin with, and so yeah, it's been really interesting how you phrased it that way because I was like, that's true. Like there, within niche, there's even more niche within that, right? Because it's like I'm older, I'm younger, I'm in the middle, and then it's like. What disability does your sibling have? And then like, mm-hmm. there's kind of all these things. There's a there's a number of people who I've talked to where they're adopted or their siblings are adopted. And there's kind of right there's there's that whole space which which is interesting because it's like we all share the commonality of having that shared experience, but there's still these like little nuanced things which make it very like very specific. But it it's I was like I I was gonna ask you like, do you remember how your parents told you? your when your brother like was diagnosed like do you remember like what like because mine was pretty like that I mean it was okay my mom did what we she could because what I remember was like I was sitting next to her like in her bedroom and she basically told me that my life wasn't gonna be normal and I was like okay yeah so and then and so because my sister she got diagnosed at three so I would have been like five at the time but yeah, mm-hmm. but she was kind of like, hey, you're not going to be able to like play with her like you normally would. Yeah. And those are the two kind of like things that I remember when she told me. So I was wondering like what, if what you yeah. remember, like when your parents told you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, I do remember. I So I was actually at like ballet or something. I don't actually know what class it was, but I was, I remember I was at like our community center and I was, I was about eight years old and my brother was two and I was doing some after school activity. And I remember my grandpa picked me up when usually it was my mom. And so I was already like, what's going on? Like, why are you here instead of mom? And he was like, well, feeling well and then I got home and my mom was like in her bedroom crying with the door closed and so it was this whole like traumatic thing of like what's going on and no one would tell me anything and finally like the next day so my I think my stepdad said at the time like you know mom just isn't feeling good or she had some bad news or something Mm -hmm. and nobody would really tell me what was going on and then later you know my mom told me my brother had autism and obviously I didn't know what that was but right was kind of, and I don't know that she really did either like it was also like this was in the 
uh, let's see, nineties, like mid to late nineties. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's just me and my really, sister too. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of support. Like the parents, like support for parents was also just emerging, and so yes. I don't think she had a good way to talk about it. And I didn't really understand what it was, but it was presented as something very, very bad and devastating, horrible that like the whole family was going to have to deal with this horrible thing, this like diagnosis. And it took a while to understand like what it was. And then, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And like, and I'm so curious, I'm always interested to talk to parents about like how it goes now. Cause I think it's part of like, there are more resources for parents. There are more resources for siblings. And yeah. just as the culture, we're like better at talking about, we're still not great, but like we're better at talking about disability and like, yeah. you know, I think hopefully there's work being done to present it more to kids as like things might not look the same way that they do for your peers or like we're just going to do things a little differently. But it's yeah. not necessarily like it doesn't have to be presented as this like traumatic, devastating thing or that you can't be you have can't have a normal life, you know, yeah, like right. it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's the hard. presentation. It's, yeah, I, and it's so, I think that mental health space in general has evolved so much since, yes. like, our siblings were diagnosed, right? Because it's, like, even, yeah, j just the language for me. Yeah, it's like, so when I started going to therapy was when I learned, like, oh, here you can, you can communicate these words to tell people how you feel, right? Like, whether yes. that's my parents or my husband or whatever, right? And it was so interesting because it's, like, the more that I use that now as an adult, I was like, wow, like had I learned that as a kid, would it would have changed so much, right? Because I had all these feelings, but I didn't, like, know what to do with it. But at the same time, you kind of have the, like, oh, but I don't want but, like, I don't want to burden my parents because there's all their stuff happening. So it's it's interesting. Like, yeah, it's, it's interesting not to think about it because it's like, oh, even if I had the words, it, it would be interesting how that changes the dynamics, too, of, like, parents talking to their kids about because it it's like, I wonder if... It'll be, yeah, I wonder if, like, those kids who are, like, you know, like, kind of 10-ish now, in, like, 10, 20 years, like, if they will feel, like, the same level of, wow, I really didn't want to burden my parents, just because the, communica the, the, the communication and language around telling your parents how you feel is just so different. Versus totally. growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really hopeful that they won't have the same experiences or that it'll be, you know, easier. But it's still, right. I mean, it's, been, it's fascinating. Like, it just, I think it just changes. Like, my guess, unfortunately, like, I hope that this won't be the case. And maybe in 20 years, you know, today's. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, give it another, another decade. Maybe another round. But because yeah. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And like, I think parents are definitely getting better at giving kids languages for emotion and like, yeah. you know, I think our culture in general is making it more okay to talk about how you feel. So hopefully that's mm. making a huge difference. But I think parents still just have a really hard time with some of like the thornier feelings and like a lot of what has come up sometimes in our like parent trainings is like parents don't want to see or believe that like the neurotypical sibling or whoever is like mm -hmm. mad or jealous and like some of those like oh. things that we consider to be like uglier emotions they say they'll ask questions like well how can I stop that like how can I make oh. them not mad or they'll say or they're just in denial they're like no no like my kids like my kids love each other so much or my you know the neurotypical kid in the family is like just actually loves being the helper and those might be true like it might even not be denial it's just like has that kid ever been asked is this yeah. also hard <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> like yeah do you have any other feelings about this and 
I think, you know, it's been, it's been really enlightening for me as we've had like therapists join us and Mm -hmm. try to give tips and stuff that like, I think parents, and I, I get it, you know, I have a one-year-old now and I think about it all the time that like, if we, fortunately, you know, so far he seems to be developing neurotypically, but if we have a second kid, like I was, of course, and there's a whole different road you could go down, you know, that I was was like, that's another, yeah, but keep going. Yeah, Yeah, a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, if we have a second kid, if that kid has disabilities, like, I don't know, it's, I'm sure that as a parent, it's devastating and difficult and like so complex and you don't like, no one wants to see their kids not like each other or say or fight or be jealous of one another. But what the therapist kind of pointed out is that like, that's actually true in every sibling relationship. And like, I think sometimes parents of kids with disabilities don't get to they don't realize that sometimes like saying I hate my sibling or I'm mad at my sibling like it doesn't mean that you've raised a horrible person who hates people with disabilities that's just like an age-appropriate <laughs> way of expressing yourself and kids in neurotypical oh, families yeah. they hate each other too it just happens that's childhood that's you know having siblings yeah. and so like we were you know a lot of the work we've done has been to try and get parents to be okay with kids saying you know, I'm, I'm angry or I'm jealous or I am mad at them or have parents understand that sometimes that's the appropriate response. Like, especially in maybe not the hatred, but like, you know, in fam, there are families where the kid with a disability might be kind of violent and they are like, they yeah. hit their siblings or they bite them or whatever. And, you know, obviously again, like I can't, I have so much sympathy and empathy and, you know, my heart goes out to these parents and I have, you know, hope that I won't have to experience that. It's very scary But it also, you know, one, I just remember there was one moment in one of our parent trainings where there was a mom who who asked in like the Q&A, she asked the therapist that was there, Mm -hmm. you know, my kid with a disability is, he's like a biter and a hitter and he's always pushing his younger sister and she's just learning to talk and her first words are, I hate, you know, Johnny Uh. Rose, I don't know. Um, And she's like, I'm so sad, I'm so devastated, I'm so sad, like, how do I get her to stop saying that? And the therapist was like you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> like mm. your first priority as a parent is to keep both your kids safe. And if that's not happening, cause one of the kids is, is aggressive, you know, yeah. obviously you love both your kids, but you, you have to keep them. You have to keep the other one safe as non-negotiable. And then step two, he was like, the therapist was like, do you actually want to teach your younger daughter that if someone hits her, she has to say, it's okay. I'm not mad. I love them. Like, is that what you want her to grow up? Like, it's actually a really age appropriate and normal response to feel like you hate someone who hits you, you know? And so the the question parents should be asking is not, how do I get them to not say that? It's how do I keep them safe? How do I have an intervention like maybe what community or social support can you lean on to maybe get like can a grandparent be taking care of one of them so that the other one can have time alone and yeah you know allow them to have their separate time and their separate abilities and hopefully you know once that child gets older she can understand it's a nuanced situation and she's not going to actually hate her brother but like to focus on how upset it upsetting it is for you as the parent is is unfortunately not what's healthiest for both your kids. And that's, I think that's really hard. That's really hard for parents to hear. Yeah. I said, that's so complicated. Like not, yeah. not just like, yeah, when you hear about it, it's always right. Cause it's like, cause at that point you can be like more third party to it. We're just like, obviously if we talk about our own parents, that's a whole, that's a different thing. Right. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. we're living it in real time and like, yeah, right. but, yeah but it's, it's interesting to like, yeah, as we get older and you kind of like, 
you know, it's the, oh, I wish my parents had done this, but, like, with early intervention, you can actually help implement at least the, at least you're, like, planting the seed that it can be different. Like, you know, you don't, they only mm-hmm. have the power to change themselves, which is fine, but it's, yeah, the ability to plant seeds early, I think is, is so, that's so powerful just because that, that can change later, right? Like, is that, it might not be, like, instant, right. which it's not meant to be instant, but it's, yeah, it's it's such... It's and it, it's crazy because I feel like there there's so many things happening at once now versus like before right it, like I've talked to some people where like them and their siblings are older right so they kind of went through more like in the eighties and before that where like no one talked about it at all yeah. but we've gotten now to these this other set where like all of us who are like everyone got diagnosed like kind of in the nineties we're all kind of in this space where like it's not only has like we're all at the age where now we're like we can we see therapists and we're recognizing all these things and like the mental health space in on top of that has changed and on top of that like it's you have the internet which has astronomically changed so much right because I remember like when my mom was trying to do research just like on things that she was trying to like you know she she went more the like um she tried to do more like detoxing route with my sister versus more behavioral um I think that was just a choice that she was try that she made and so the number of like you know like books from the library or like articles at that time that like existed that were really like it, it's it was just so different than now you can kind of you put it in a google search engine and you're like get 10,000 articles and, you, and then you don't know which ones are real just because you have people who are kind of like clickbaiting but you have like real legitimate articles too from like you know actual like research and stuff so it's like which i think about like that must be so overwhelming for like everybody like regardless if you're a sibling or a parent or any person with a disability there's the internet's just kind of scary sometimes like (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you know but it's true there are definitely like thank goodness there are more resources out there now and Yeah, and compared to, like, the 80s and even the 90s, like, I am glad there's more now. There's still so much work needed, but, like, I think one part of what some of these other organizations I know are working on, like, the Sibling Transformation Project and the Sibling Leadership Network, I know they um, are very much involved with, like, advocacy and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to kind of, like, dismantle some of these systems that make it so hard because, like, even when I think about this example, like, the parents with the kid who hits or something, it's like, well, what options are available to them? You know, like, it mm. depends on what their insurance is and where they live and, like, how can they keep their two kids separate? You know, what behavioral therapies or options are provided so that they can keep both their kids safe or develop anger management techniques or, like, whatever, get or get the younger one into therapy? Like, you know, yeah. I think it's, like, like, I sort of see our nonprofit's role as, you know, we're trying to provide some tools, like the books and the trainings, and we're trying to, mm-hmm. you know, put out there, like, this is needed and here are some ideas. But there's still only so much that parents can do if they're burnt out. Like, I mean, I think about this, like I have a one-year-old, like I said, and it's even with a neurotypical, thank God, healthy one-year-old, like he's a lot of work. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) once you have two kids, like, and then you add a disability on top of it, like these parents are stretched so thin. And if there aren't community supports and they are having trouble finding the resources or they go on Google and they don't happen to find the right thing, it's like, I feel like that's where we still there's still so much that's needed to like make it trickle back down to siblings because siblings are only ever going to be able to like really have everything else we need when we're young. If, if parents 
also get resources so that they have the bandwidth and the, like they need bandwidth and tools and support. <laughs> like there's so yeah. much this like multifaceted network that's needed for everyone involved to be able to have a little more support. And it's just, it's, it's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> and a battle, it, it's hard. Yeah. And, and it, and that's why it's, 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 uh, it's definitely an interesting thing how in, like, I feel like in the disability, like, the greater network of what it is, like, that's, it's definitely, like, there's so many specialized people, which makes sense at this point, right? Because it's kind of, like, there's no, like, parents, like, parents can't do it by themselves. Like, no matter how hard you try, right? Even if you read every book, every article, you did everything that a therapist told you to do, like, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't facilitate everything by yourself right there needs to be some yeah. sort of community or some sort of support group or some sort of like you need to be outside of your inside house in order to actually facilitate kind of a, a more quote-unquote normal-ish life where yeah you know they they can have some of a normal life or you know at least have the opportunity to do more normal things right and it's like there's mm -hmm. so many people within the larger disability community that like oh yeah you just they they can just refer to each other to this or to that service or to this person or to this organization and it's so it's so interesting how like interconnected it is even the, the, just because there's obviously people who are going to be more connected than others just because they're more their specialties are more like interconnected right because if you have like medical needs you're going to go kind of like a certain route of people that you need to talk to versus you know a lot of the kids with autism have more like there's other sensory things so you kind of go you know you need to talk to people who kind of like understand that part so it's, it's interesting to see like how it, it's funny how specific people are but it's very needed mm -hmm. at the same time because you can't have yeah you just can't be the multiple solution place or service because it just it, it can't exist because it's not meant to do that either yeah well and it's yeah. difficult like yeah it's it's very you know we thought about that a lot in terms of like should we even start our own organization or mm. you know Mm -hmm. And I don't know, and it's still, and it's an emerging, it's a continued question because it is like we are constantly trying to make sure that we're filling a need and not just repeating like resources yes. are already out there, which is why we're like, okay, no more, like we're not doing children's programs, let's just support, to, like throw all our weight. Oh, yeah, it's just like, that makes sense. Like, because there aren't, there's not enough, I mean, funding is a lot of where it comes down to. It's like there's like oh, there's, the social yeah. support, like on the one hand, like depending where you live, like what your insurance is, like there's what mm -hmm. what's literally available to families to support them no matter what. And then funding for sibling organizations, there's just there's really not enough for us to be competing with each other, you know, so yeah. like really wanting to make sure. But I think like all of the sibling organizations I've encountered, they're pretty much started and moved forward by individual or groups of siblings who are really <clears throat> like passionate about a certain thing that affected them or a certain path forward that they see for change. And so they like with all their own like blood, sweat and tears, push it yeah. forward. And yeah. sometimes they have to get a little funding to help them out. But like, yeah, we all like, it would be great if there was just a one, one stop shop you could go to and every yeah. level of, you know, sibling support, you could find it. But you know, it's, I've, I've said before too, that's also like, you know, consider for like cancer, right? Like can, okay. there's not just one cancer nonprofit, like there are gazillions and some of them are based on the oh, type of cancer. True. Some of them are based on supporting kids with cancer. Some of them, there are actually resources out there for siblings and kids with cancer. Like 
there are different nonprofits and then there's also different tones. Like there's the, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to use this word right on your podcast, but there's the like F cancer group, you know, that's right. sort of like <laughs> sustainable, like we're all about like talking really bluntly and letting out your anger and like, we're going to gather together and oh, say like, interesting. and then there's the people that are like, you know, let's, let's bring care packages to the kids in the hospital. And it's like a smart, <laughs> yeah, like, like very polar opposite vibes yeah, of, of how, yeah. Interesting. And that's good because everybody deserves to be able to find their vibe and their fit within a supporting organization. So it's like, on the one hand, I think it's great to have a multitude of organizations emerging that can fill different roles, but also just, you know, trying to make sure that we're all helping each other because it's such a, such a, like you said, such a niche space. And then to have like niche within niche within niche, yeah. like, there's really not room yet to be like repeating services. We've got to yeah, all not. be trying to support each other. Yeah, no, yeah. So that that's why it's been fun. Like, yeah, just talking to people all over the world because it's just like the the need at the end of the day is the same. But, like, yeah, the method of kind of how, like, you reach people could be different just because of, like, you know, the people that, like, you're networked around stuff. So when you wrote the book, was that before you started the nonprofit? Or was that kind of, like, at the same time? Or, like, how did that Yeah, no, it was before. Work? Okay. And so, actually, I wrote, the, so I wrote the original version of the book when I was in fifth grade. Oh, <laughs> and fun! And a long time ago. Yeah, and it has, um, it's emerged, and it's just changed versions a few times since then. But, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got, so when I was in, I mean, it was middle school, yeah, fifth or sixth grade, I got a grant um, from this really small community foundation um, to write the book. Literally, it was this therapy practice. And so they had, they were in touch with my mom and they had been asked that I guess there were a lot of families coming in saying like my, this, you know, the neurotypical kids and their families needed support too. Like they were coming in for right. services for the kid with a disability. And then they're like, do you have anything for siblings? And at the time they didn't, and they just, I like, liked to write. And I was always like volunteering for like school newspaper and all oh, these projects. Yeah. And my mom was like, well, maybe Jessica could put something together. And so they gave me like just a small, small grant to like, literally I wrote something. I had a friend like colors and pictures and we had it bound at Kinko's and like, oh, you know, fun. made a couple of copies. Yeah, it started out very, very grassroots, um, yeah. and then it turned into kind of like a family project. We made more copies, and we would sell it at, like, you know, my mom was super involved with, like, back then, it was, uh, like, the Cure Autism Now network. I don't think they oh, exist yeah, anymore. Yep. Then, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, all of those places, so we would go to their walks and stuff, and we would sell the books there, um, and then, yeah, that was part of what, so really it was just that this was in the back of my mind. And a couple of years ago, I was, I just randomly thought about it and was like, I wonder if there are more, like, hopefully there are more books like this out there now. And I just kind of did an Amazon search one day to see like what other sibling books exist. And yeah. there were like two and they just, they weren't, they, I didn't feel like they accomplished the same goal of like really validating kids' feelings. And so yeah. I was like, well, I'm just, maybe I can, maybe I can repackage this and like do some more good with it to try and make it available. And that kind of, that's what sort of started yeah. all the people falling together for the book and the nonprofit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so funny because yeah. So when I started looking for books at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. So what I, what, I came across yours, I came across some other ones. And then what's funny now is that as I've started this podcast, I've met like three other people who've written books since the pandemic. Like they're all, they yeah. all have like post 2020 published like things. I think we all needed a COVID project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, it's been so funny just to like, 
Yeah, like they, they, I mean, we all had time. So, you know, that makes sense. But yeah, it's just, it's been so fascinating to kind of like collectively just meet people that happen to write. Cause it, it is just funny. Cause like, yeah, at the time I was like, oh yeah, like there's not that there wasn't anything, but like there wasn't anything for people in our age range. I think that was my mm-hmm. thing, right? It was kind of like, there's stuff like for kids, which was good. And there was like kind of stuff that was older that was written, which is not it's not bad. It's just not now. <laughs> right. 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 So there's a certain level of like it's different. Like the concerns were just different. Like a lot of it yeah. still resonates, but it's just different over time. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting. Cause like I've met some of the authors of like some of the older books, right. Where they're, where their siblings, you know, cause they're both like 70. And so they, they were like living in a period where like, it's just, you kind of sent your sibling to like, not an asylum, but something that was equivalent to that like kind of an asylum. Yeah, right? yeah, like an institution. And, yeah. Oh, there we go. Thank you for the word. I was like, there's a word for it that I can't remember. No and so it's because I was thinking about the Beauty and the Beast scene, like in get like where he like oh, where yeah, guest yeah, on yeah. set. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Asylum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it it was interesting because it's like yeah when you when I talk to them like in person or you know like over video like it's that that's. That type of connect, it's so interesting, right? Because it's like the way that things are now are like nothing like when they were growing up. But like when you talk to them, it's like you can still relate to all mm-hmm. the things. And it's like, I wonder, and I, I wonder if that translates, because I haven't read their books, but I know that they've written them. So it's, it'll be interesting how that translates now that I've met them versus like if mm-hmm. I just had read it and just like, gee, I right. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I wonder too, if like, I think. I'm sure COVID had something to do with it. And then also just like, I wonder, and I hope that like, we'll keep seeing more and more books because of like kind of the combination of like mental health being something you can talk about more. And so people are more like, we feel like we have permission now to talk about these things and like self publishing, like the first, you know, we fortunately like our nonprofit was able to like raise money. It's kind of like one version of it, but essentially we self published the books just to get them out there. Like, we didn't, you used to have to wait for some publisher to accept oh, your yeah. work. And now That's it's like, true. we were just able to decide, like, we want these resources out there. And I think a lot of people, people are self-publishing their memoirs or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so hopefully, like, I think there's just a couple different factors that make it easier for people to tell their stories. And then hopefully, eventually, that will lead to more resources and support. No, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, I was like, that part makes it so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always love hearing different people's stories and then finding those common threads. Cause it's just like, there are, there are so many, no matter what different, like, you, you know, we're saying the different niches and like type yeah. of disability and age. And like, there are huge factors that make everyone different, but there's also just, it always feels like there's a few threads that everyone has in common. Yes. No, exactly. Yeah. It's like thematically, there's just always, there's always a tie. Cause even when I talk to my husband about like, he'll listen to like everything, right. He's like, Oh yeah. But he, he, as someone who's not a sibling, can see, like, threads of just multitudes of yeah. things, right? Because there's just so much, yeah, there's just so much connection, and and it's, like, and there's stuff that, and and, that, and that's why, like, what, what every time when I talk to people for the first time and I explain it, and I, I always tell people, like, I pre- I'm very informal, because it's very much, like, with that, if we weren't, informal it would we would not be talking about the same things it's just it just doesn't totally. for in the sibling suites it just doesn't work because it's like once it's formal you already have like ten thousand other filters of like oh no i have to say these things about my parents and my sibling and like oh and then yeah. it's kind of the very much the like 
oh, it wasn't that bad, right? It's it's a very much like the, rep- the it's a subconscious repression of your feelings, and it's crazy yeah. that even as adults who now like right, we're talking and it's like we can tell all these things, but the minute that you're like, oh, you're gonna be on this formal interview, you're like, okay, you right? It just it shifts right. so much. Totally. Or you feel like you have to say the right words or like they're so, and that's a whole, I mean, you'll have to have like four different podcast episodes about all of these things because there's so many roads you could take it. But like the terminology, like we've struggled with that personally, that it's like, I grew up saying, you know, have autism and autistic was really offensive. And now it's the flip side. People are saying you're supposed to say autistic and that has autism. And it's just like, there's so many different things. It's like, there, like the puzzle piece is evil like there's just oh, yeah. it's hard to keep up with it's that hard to one, do the right thing I, and you can't make I, everyone happy all the time and if you're worrying too much about getting it right like that's just another I feel like that's another thing that just makes it difficult for us to be like okay I, like I just want to tell my story and talk about my emotions yeah. and I don't I'm not attaching like so much importance to this word and I know that other people do but like yeah it's just it's a difficult thing to navigate no, yeah, and and that's been the really interesting thing talking to people who are like in different decades of life because there's mm-hmm. definitely like the the way people will talk about just the situations in general, like the experience is so different, like within yeah. decades of each other. And it's like, yeah, and we can have like kind of the same like family structure or same disability or whatever, but yeah, just the 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 language and the demeanor of which people communicate around it is just so different because I just in the regular culture of the world like it just every 10 years it's just like okay it's gonna be different now so it's yeah and trying to be like politically correct but also genuinely sensitive like genuinely I want to call people what they want to be called and like never ever want to offend someone but then there's also like well what about like what I grew up saying and like exactly yeah if I are offensive to me (laughs) yeah and it's like if I grew up this way and I learned only these six ways of saying it like I can't I'm not gonna learn another 10 by the time Right. And it's kind of like, and it's really interesting, right? Because it's like, on some level, it's like, half the time, I'm not even with my sister when those conversations happen. So like, does it really matter if it doesn't offend me? Right? Like, I don't like, Mm -hmm. it's not if they're not if she's not with me, they're not personally attacking her in any way. Right? I'm like, yeah. Or like, what about their preference? Like, my brother has enough language, and he grew up that it was offensive to say autistic and he prefers has autism and like then oh, there are all these autistic self-advocates saying the other way and it's like it's I feel like it's just a person by person thing like if I'm in person with someone and they tell me please don't yeah. say has autism please say autistic I will of course I'll respect their personal preference right. but that's not my brother's personal preference and people assume like then there are oh, all these campaigns that like the world must change it's like says who and, and what about all the people who can't can't talk or can't tell you what they prefer like it's yeah. it's just very thorny and tricky and you could talk That's... for hours about that too yeah because i was like yeah because yeah even if i tried to ask my sister that don't think she could tell you because she just yeah right the like she she does one word she does one word sentences she doesn't do like long form anything so like i don't i don't even know it would yeah it, i remember i used to like in my head when i was a kid i used to be like you know it, it's like kind of like what would you give to be able to talk to your sister for like 24 hours, I would have literally give anything. Like I was almost yeah. like to the level of, I will die just so I can talk to her for 24 hours. Like just cause mm-hmm. you can't, Yeah, it's just, yeah, there's just something about it. You can't, 
there's nothing that's not worth that trade at all mm -hmm. you know yeah. yeah well and that's part of too like i mean yeah i feel like i know we're getting towards the end of our time and there's so many different roads we could go down because that one makes <laughs> me think too, like i think you know we were talking about like honesty and being able to like just comfortably talk in an informal atmosphere it's like that's yeah. another one that it's it's so difficult like i definitely encounter this with my brother that like there's a lot of things I really support, like trying to do, you know, like self-determination and like self-advocacy, like obviously yes. that's amazing. And we're always trying to give my brother like whatever tools we can to help like empower him and let him make his own choices. Yeah. But then, you know, there are these things like the, the puzzle piece or us as a speaks will come under fire for trying to do research to, you know, or try and create like supports or interventions. And it's like, well, what if they want, you know, just because certain people say that they don't want those interventions, like my brother says he does. So, you yeah. know, like it's just hard and like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to appease everyone. And it's frustrating when there's a group of really vocal autistic self-advocates who are trying to, which as they absolutely should and have the right to say what they want, like they can't speak for our siblings who, they can't speak for your sibling who can't speak for herself. They can't right. speak for my sibling who doesn't feel the same way. Like right. it's really the spectrum, the spectrum of autism and all the disabilities are, it's really broad and not everyone feels the same way. And it's, it's just created this whole political thing that I think really at the end of the day, just detracts from a real conversation about like yes. supporting each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and that's like the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and I think it's something I didn't really not, what's the word I want to use? It's something I didn't really understand until now as an adult and i think because like my parents they were like involved in some stuff but not not a whole bunch and i realized like now as an adult that like that i've met you know a bunch of siblings and people and it's a mix of people who run organizations or are part of big ones or that you know they're just regular everyday joes just doing their full-time jobs and just you know yeah. doing with regular regular life and not trying to to be an advocate but they're just themselves right and it's it's been interesting because it's like having the mix of community and meeting people who like live outside your state or people who live inside your city and right and it's 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 so impactful because it does so much for validation that you can't get without doing that and, it, and it's interesting totally. yeah and it's like you know if and, and I, yeah, I think I just reflect on it a lot just because I didn't grow up with that a lot. Like, we didn't really have people over. Like, we didn't go to a lot of support things. I don't yeah. think where where I grew up, we didn't really have sim shops. So I never knew they existed until I was, like, mm -hmm. you know, past the age that you could. I think I was, I must have been, like, 17 or 18 by the time that I realized that they existed. Which, at that point, you know, you're over, you're over the age of where you could attend. But, yeah, it's, it's. It's just kind of interesting because it's like, yeah, disability, like regardless of, yeah, what political stance or non-political stance or whatever, like community with people who you either, yeah, community with just people and disability is just so important to foster the fact that like you're not by yourself, that you have people yeah. that can validate and just that the experience that you're going through like is very real. And it's very yeah. like whatever you're experiencing is what you're experiencing. Like, like other people... Yeah. Can't tell you that you're Someone wrong. Else that too. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I feel like anything we can do to, to like broaden the community and increase ways for people to connect with each other is always better instead of saying like, you're not allowed in the club if you don't talk this way. I believe that's like, we all, 
like you said, it's such a niche community. We really, we really need each other and need more ways to help each other out. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. There, yeah. For sure. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Otherwise, we can jump into encouragement. Whatever. I don't know if you have any last thoughts on other things. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I think there's. I'm, I think we've gone with a lot of different possibilities. And yeah. No. I think yeah. for those were all the main things. And there's so much we could probably keep talking about. But no. I think probably yeah. those and- were all of my burning things to share <laughs> yeah which i appreciate and, that, and that's the fun part about just being two siblings in a room it's like we just talk like anything like literally like, and, and it's amazing because it's like i will talk to everybody about different stuff but thematically yeah it's it's thematically it's the same it's great like i love it um yeah so i guess we will end with um what are some words of encouragement from yourself to other fellow siblings listening yeah, I think, you know, similar, I think to what we just talked about, I kind of think where we organically ended is is exactly it. It's just like whatever it is that you're feeling, whether it feels like something you're comfortable talking about out loud or not, like, even if in your head, you've gone to a place where you're like, oh, I could never tell anyone that, like, you really probably aren't the only one who has had a difficult yeah. or whatever type of experience. And like, finding community is so important and being able, you know, to not feel alone. And I think like all of us, deserve to, to feel validated and that's really like yes. I just think that's the first step like everything else can fall together but you have to acknowledge what you feel first and then find the path to work through and maybe yeah. it's that you're really passionate about like we need to find supportive services for parents and like we need to change the way that we you know su- provide jobs or housing for people with disabilities like whatever it is whether it's yeah. something that you would be as like constructive and not constructive positive negative like however you feel is how you feel just start there and like allow yourself to feel that way and then try to find some other people you can be in community with and you know it it hopefully can evolve from there and things you know yeah can get better and you yeah. can feel more supported yeah because if anything even even if that yeah you don't like change the whole plan you know like you you just feel better as a person and I think that's that's such mm-hmm. a big step for like siblings is just you just feel better about yourself and you're like yes okay and being yeah, a piece with just that, let great. it out. Yeah, <laughs> better exactly. out than it. It's gonna feel good. Just let it out. Yeah, <laughs> just awesome. Talk to yeah, <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me, and good luck. And yeah, I hope that you're able to talk to lots more interesting people and start interesting conversations. I'm looking yes. forward to listening. Most definitely. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Special Needs Sibling Podcast. I hope you had a good time listening and feel encouraged in your own journey as a sibling to someone with special needs. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends. And if you want to hear more stories, please subscribe to the show. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, the show can't happen without you. All special needs siblings have their own unique stories, challenges, family dynamics, and lots of life to talk about and explore. This podcast is here to let you know that you're not alone and that you matter. If you would like to be on the show or just chat off the record, please contact me. My info is in the show notes. Until next time, this is the Special Needs Sibling Podcast.